Welcome to episode three of the McShane and Rucker Show here on VIC Radio. And we have a special episode for you this week as both Oliver and I will take an in-depth look at the Mets and the Jets and the direction to which these teams are heading. So we're staying a little bit more specific this week, going with the two New York teams. Now we'll start off with the New York Mets who finished this 2020 uh, shortened season at 26 and 34. Um, they missed out on the playoffs. It was a very disappointing year for the team. However, there were some positives that can be taken away. Um, just to name two really quickly, uh, Jacob deGrom uh, is in the running again for Cy Young. He was nominated uh, for the National League Players' Choice Award for the most, most outstanding pitcher, along with Hugh Darvish and Trevor Bauer. And Dominic Smith was named as one of the finalists for the Hank Aaron Award, which is given to the top offensive contributor in each league. So even though it was a tough season for the Mets – as a whole, there were some positives, right, Oliver? Absolutely. Uh, Dom Smith, as you said, was, my opinion, not a surprise, but mm -hmm. sure, he, I'm sure he was to others. Um, he uh, ended up hitting 10 home runs, 42 RBIs. Uh, I think he's finished third in the league in doubles. Is that mm -hmm. right? Something like that. Um, uh, OPS of 993, uh, th 316. He was great. Um, he was – I. I, I've always had faith in him. Not everybody has, though. Uh, and then, of course, you know, you said Jacob Degrom always, and Michael Conforto. Yeah. Uh, I personally believe that this is Michael Conforto's team, and I've said that I, the past years, um, Michael Conforto to me has just has been really, really good. But he's kind of been a little bit of supporting character, and I don't know why. But for some reason, this year. His at bats looked incredibly confident. He looked like, and he looked like a leader. And he looked like, in my opinion, this is his team. I really think that from going forward, uh, Michael Conforto is going to be the leader, and I think he showed it this year. Um, he also 31 RBIs, nine home runs, hit 322. Uh, great year for Michael. And then another one, and I, a lot of Mets fans don't want to hear this, but Edwin Diaz was a huge mm -hmm. positive for the Mets this year. He. Started out struggling just a little bit and absolutely lost a lot of, uh, or I guess not lost, but his reputation didn't get any better after the Marcelo Zuna home run in the, on the second game of the season. But he ended ended the year 2-1, and one, 175 ERA, which is really, really good. Yeah, phenomenal. And it was even lower in September. And then 50 strikeouts. He struck out more than half of his batters face this year his stuff is electric um it was just it always with him with Edwin Diaz every start he looks a, he'll get it, it almost seems like every single time he comes in it's he'll get the first two batters out maybe walk a guy and then all it takes is one bad pitch yeah and sometimes it's not even a bad pitch yeah but it's hit like well the, yeah but and but you know what though and that's that's you're right but I feel like that stopped happening the this year after after maybe the first month this the all of september that stopped happening i mean his years in seattle weren't a fluke i mean led the no. league in saves 54 saves yeah and i think he proved that this year i really do i think he i think we have and i'm just, i'm gonna say this i think we have mariners edmund diaz now yeah on the mets and i i love and, and again it gets lost in well 
you know, he he really wanted to give up Kellenic for Diaz and uh, that's and right. Diaz. See, the thing is, like that dark cloud that kind of shadows them with that with those players. I mean, Diaz and Cano included, who actually is another person that we exactly. can mention in the positive category who had a good year, is kind of even when they perform well. The thing that everybody talks about is, oh, well, Brody made one of the worst trades ever by giving up a top prospect for a closer and yeah. somebody who's way past their prime, you know? Yeah. But if he can perform like this and you don't, then I, you know, and Kellenic is looking like he's probably going to be a stud, but you don't know. You never right. know. Prospects so, are unknowns. No matter yeah. how high they're ranked, they're unknowns until they make the majors. Yeah, absolutely. I just, I'm, I was very, very pleased and I'm very excited about Edmund Diaz going forward. Now, I want to go back to quickly when you mentioned about Dom Smith. And I think the big thing for Dom that he benefited from was having the DH be in the NL this year because he got more at-bats. Yeah. And it also, I think, gave him a chance to play in the field and allowed Alonzo to DH because I think Dom really benefited um, mm -hmm. from having the, the DH be in the uh, National League this year. But I also – I want to transition now to talking about some of the negatives for the team. And obviously there are a lot. Before we do, I just want to put in perspective about Dom. He – before – this year he had uh, 10 home runs. Last year he had 11. So I yeah. just want to say – and that's – and obviously unless at bats. He actually – he had this he had the same amount as at bats this year as he did in 2019. Yeah. So he's getting playing time. He's producing – He's, he's a, I think, I think he's going to be a huge core piece for the Mets going forward. Well, hopefully Dom Smith is, like you said, a, a big piece for the Mets going forward. Now I want to, like I just said, I want to um, move on to talk about some of the negatives for this, this season, obviously with them being eight games under 500 they're you know, they're, while there were positives, like they're obviously something that went wrong. Now the Mets actually led the league in batting average. They were second in on base percentage, fourth in slugging, so by any metric that you look at, they were an elite offense. But however, the problem was is they struggled to score runs equal to that production. Mm -hmm. We're 13th in runs scored. And the big reason that there's a huge divide in that is their inability to hit with runners in scoring position. Um, last year, they were the worst team in the MLB batting with runners in scoring position, batting 245. And one of the biggest culprits that we should say, um, one of the biggest culprits of that was Pete Alonso. Mm -hmm. Now, Pete Alonso had the, had the most RBIs for the Mets in 2019, and he just and he hit just 234 with runners in scoring position this year. So Pete definitely struggled this year. I think pitchers, you know, finally are figuring out how to pitch to him, and he got a little antsy. You could see sometimes at the plate, but yeah, it was definitely frustrating for Pete and the Mets with runners in scoring position. Yeah, um, I just I think that it was it was definitely a lost year for Pete, but I. I I think it would be um, naive of us to think that he's he's done. You know, oh, no. I think that I think that he is going to come back absolutely next year. I think that he is he 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 is so much passion that he's not going to. This isn't going to. This isn't going to be an extended struggle for him. I mean, you even saw the last series. He started. He even started to pick it up a little bit. Um. Which it reminds me a little bit of when the Mets first uh, picked up Jay Bruce a couple years ago. He yeah. was terrible until yeah. like until like 
the last couple games when all of a sudden he got real hot and then he carried that over. I thought, for, frankly, his 2017 season I thought was better than Michael Conforto's who ended up being the all-star, but that's neither here nor there. Now, I, here's yeah. another thing that I'm sorry. Here's another thing that I just want to mention about the batting average. Is that like batting average is like one of those stats that kind of tends to correct itself from season to season. So like if the Mets continue to be an elite offense and, you know, every other aspect, whether they're slugging on base, like, you know, like they'll begin hitting with runners in scoring position. Like I feel like, you know, and also I think it hurts them having a shortened season because you would figure with a hundred plus games more than the 60 game season and like a normal season that they could have, you know, at least corrected some of that offensive yeah. incompetence, I guess you could say, and make yeah. a late season run like they did in 2019 when they made that. Yeah, that streak. I feel like they're normally a second-half team, Yeah, honestly. They either get off to a great start or they come back in the second half. And I feel like it's – it's. I would love a year where they're just dominant throughout the whole season, and I'm sure it will happen at some point in my lifetime. But I've learned with not just the Mets but in all my teams that that's probably not going to happen. So I just got to – you know, it's just – yeah, the, I agree with you, though. This, the Mets are a second-half team. They – I think that if it were a regular season, they would have come around. And I believe that – well, also, if it was a regular season, they the playoff format wouldn't be what it was. But I believe that if it were, they would have been in the top, what was it, eight teams that make it to the playoffs easily. And I think they're going to come back next year. And I just – but for me, the biggest negative isn't so much the runners in scoring position. It, it, uh, it was the starting pitching because mm. – the offense. Degrom and everybody else. What? I said it was Degrom and everybody else. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, there's the offense. Yeah, it wasn't very good, particularly learning the scoring position. But at the end of the day, I feel like they got the job done. I think that the pitching is just it was it was it was it was awful. I'm sorry, it was. The bullpen was great. Not great. It was good. It was solid. But the um, everyone got hurt. You know, there was Hurt, opted out. There yeah. was there was no and I'm very happy about David Peterson, but there was really no reason why he should have been pitching. When you think about it, it was supposed to be Noah hurt, uh Stroman hurt, then opted out. Uh Waka was hurt a couple times. Porcello just wasn't good at all. And DeGrom was DeGrom. But you know, I just I think that was the biggest that was the biggest issue, and that's really what's happened to the Mets the last few years. There's I, for me, there's hitting bullpen and starting pitching. If the Mets can, the Mets have the talent on paper to put it all together and be a really really good team. The last few years, there's always been one thing that was wrong. Last year, it was the bullpen. If they, what was the stat? If they like saved like. 25 those games I mean they'd be yeah they would be yeah first place team and it's just um I just sorry to clarify that half those games that they blow that they blew yes that's what I'm talking about but either like I was saying though with the pitching this year it just it wasn't good but if they can take all three of those aspects and put them together it's uh I think that they could be a dominant team now we'll quickly transition to this um and talk about some of the plans for the Mets in the offseason and we'll focus on just one player for tonight um, for today um, and that's JT Real Muto now the Mets have been linked with the Phillies catcher for a while now ever since Steve Cohen was rumored to be taking over the team and now there's been rumors that he's 
planning on losing $400 million in the first two years and taking over the team. So he's going to spend money. Now, there is a concern there, though, with Real Muto. Now, he's 30 years old, and catchers don't really age well, but the Mets have a huge needed catcher, and he's reportedly asking for $200 million a year. So do the Mets even entertain getting close to that money valuation at all or no? I don't think that $200 million is going to be what he gets from any team. Right. I, don't. I think it's just something – I just think it's, it's thrown out there, and it's – I just don't think it's, it, it's there's no way anybody's going to pay $200 million for what you said a 30 year old catcher. And I think, I agree that I think that JT Realmuto is the best. He's probably what we're right now, at least uh, he can run, he can hit, he can field. But I just, I, I can't imagine any team paying that much for the catcher i think it's just he threw it out there he's bluffing he's like seeing if anybody will bite i don't think anybody will well, yeah let me give you this stat to show you why to show you bad catchers don't really age well over the last 30 years there's only been six catchers that have posted ops marks over 800 while catching 80 percent of the games they appeared in from ages 30 to 35 Mm-hmm. So to expect somebody like Real Muto to hit like he has over the last three years around an 8 to an 825 OPS while remaining an everyday catcher is just unrealistic. So for him to be asking for eight years, $200 million, no team should even come close to that. And, and I, don't, I don't – I honestly, I don't think he or anybody else expects them to. I, again, I think it's just he's throwing it out there, see if the fish are biting and see what he actually can get. You think he's just throwing throwing a high number out there and seeing how close he can actually get to it. And I think if the Mets can get close, maybe, I don't know, 150, even that's a lot, though. Yeah. I don't. Think that I think should... it's more so the years than the money. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, but, uh, a shorter-term deal, I would get more behind than having him sign for seven, eight years. Um, yeah. But, no, as much as I like him, I don't think they should break the bank on him. I think there are other options, um, but I, I and again if they but if they can get him at a at a reasonable price, even a little over that this that price is incredibly unreasonable. But if it's but if they can get him at something lower, then I would be more than happy to have JT. And I just before we move on, I want to talk about uh, the how to upgrade the pitching. I think yeah. that Degrom's obviously going obviously going to come back. Uh, Noah should be back. We don't do we do we actually know? If He'll he's miss back? the first two months of the season, most okay. likely. Well, and David Peterson really turned it on at the end yes, of the season. Yes, he had a great season. Yes. Back. Um, and then that leaves Matt's Porcello. Well, no, not Porcello. But Porcello Matt. and Walker are both free agents. Yes. Matt's is still there. Matt's Stroman's a free agent. Stroman. So, I would love it if they re-signed Mark Stroman. That's what I was going to say. Mm-hmm. Or and again, everyone wants Trevor Bauer because why wouldn't you? I think I think his I love his attitude and the way he trolls on the internet. I think it's I think it's really funny, frankly. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I I just love it. I think and he's he's obviously a great pitcher. He's probably going to win the Cy Young this year. As um, but if they can if they can somehow and this is wishful thinking, but if they could somehow swing Stroman and Trevor Bauer, I'm a I'm a happy guy. Yeah, and to to wrap this up, I think the Mets, the tough decision for them is it sounds like they're going to kind of have to decide between a couple players. Like, they'll definitely be in the running for both Real Muto and Bauer. 
Yes. But they're going to have to decide whether or not they want one or the other. I don't know if they're going to be able to afford both, especially in this kind of pandemic yeah, I agree. climate. Um, I think I think we as Met fans are really, really like it. Our thoughts about Steve Cohen are really over the top, just because they can be. But I don't yeah. think that what we think he's going to do is actually what he is going to do. You know. But yeah. uh, I don't know. We'll see. We will see. Um, hopefully, Steve Cohen. Uh, spends because us Met fans have really haven't seen the team spend uh, that much over the last couple of years. But I do want to move on to talk about the other team in New York that is um, struggling to say the least. I think that's putting it lightly. Um, the New York Jets, they're 0-5. Um, their two best players, Le'Veon Bell. Well, I guess Jamal Adams wasn't here at the start of the season, but Le'Veon Bell and Jamal Adams have both moved on. Le'Veon Bell just signed with the Chiefs. Jamal Adams is in Seattle. Uh, Darnold's hurt. Uh, the offense can't really do anything. Uh, they're losing a ton of games. The team seemingly picked Adam Gase over Le'Veon Bell and didn't use him right, paid him a lot of money, and now he's gone. I mean, where do, where do we even go from here? Like, where well, do the Jets go from here? Yeah. I don't – Jack, I, I, I don't know. Does It does – now – the question is going to become, because the season this season's over. I mean, it's let's it's safe to say that. Unless they uh, went out, never well, discount that possibility. Well, if they do, if they do win out, eleven and five, yeah. I mean, <laughs> but on on Earth they won't do that. Um, no. But if we look ahead to the future, this is going to be a very very crucial off season for the team because they have to decide if. They get the number one pick. Do they take Trevor Lawrence? No. And then trade away Darnold? No. Why not? No. You trade the number one pick, you trade down, try to get value for it, and then pick, grab, I don't but know. But they already have another first-round pick, though. Well, then, great. But I don't, yeah, I don't want, saying? frankly, I don't think Trevor Lawrence is as good as he might be. I don't think he's the answer. Uh, as long as, and this is what everybody's saying, as long as Adam Gase is the coach of the New York Jets, neither Trevor Lawrence nor Sam Darnold will be able to thrive. Um, Sam Darnold, I believe, is the quarterback, is our quarterback. I believe he's the guy. Um, if Trevor Lawrence was the quarterback, I'd say the same thing, but I don't think he will be because I really think Sam Darnold is the guy, and he, as long as Adam Gase is the coach, he can't thrive. You know what Adam Gase said the other day? in response to why LaMichael Pirine hasn't gotten any touches, mm. he said that loosely, I'm loosely quoting, paraphrasing, he said that putting LaMichael Pirine in games, he didn't want to, um, he didn't want to uh, lower his confidence because that would, uh, that would. Well, because I think he said something along the lines that it would. Development. It would stunt his growth. Come growth on. Used. That's Which, the most ridiculous thing I've, ever heard doesn't make any sense i mean how could you how could you screw somebody's development if you don't play by putting them in games yeah. it doesn't make any sense and i've said this 10 times this season to myself to others i'm not a football mind but this just seems fundamental right i would never call a play down 20 points and second and 25 and over and run it down the middle really the play calling is horrible but he said the play calling is not the problem. The bad decision. Come on. God, it's so frustrating. 
there has to be a pattern when Jamal Adams and Le'Veon Bell and a variety of others just want to leave. And it's not even – And wait, let me just add on to that. It's not even just the Jets. If you go back to when he was with Miami, and just to name even two players, Tannehill was horrible yeah. under Gase. Everyone's like, oh, he's going to be out of the league. He's a bust, whatever. And then he goes to Tennessee and has a good coach around him, good players around him, and succeeds. And yeah. then you look at a guy who's also improved for Miami a lot this year, Mike Isicki, who people are saying, oh, he can't really play tight end in the NFL and is now having a great season with the Dolphins. <laughs> I mean, it just, there's a, there's, and as, as we said last week, there is the common denominator that Adam Gase is the coach. That is the reason. That is the reason. The play calling, the way he puts, what positions he puts these players in, how poorly he's used Le'Veon Bell. Now, is Le'Veon Bell as good as he used to be? Probably not. But, but we he's don't still know. Above average we don't running. know. We don't know if he's as good right. as he yeah, was. Yeah, you don't really because know the he answer. He didn't actually ever get touches. Right. How are you going to target him once in week five? when he is probably, as a running back, the second-best receiver, if not the best receiver on the team. That but well, Michael Piron will get more touches, though, now. Okay, he should get more touches. Should get more touches. Keyword. Should. Keyword is should. Because remember, uh, Le'Veon Bell was hurt from weeks two, three, and four, and Frank, Frank Gore still got most of the touches. And I have nothing against Frank Gore. I happen to like him very much. Mm -hmm. But – Moving but he forward, can't be your number one running back. He just and, can't. Yeah, and moving forward, he's not going to be the running back for the Jets. Right. So his role, in my opinion, and I just think that this is that he should be the mentor for the Michael P. Ryan now. Well, Michael P. Ryan needs to get most of the touches. I mean, talk he about an opportunity does. for a player. And Frank Gore will get will go in there for relief. He'll get touches every once in a while. But it needs to be Pirine, and Frank Gore needs to be the one to mentor him and, to, and get him to develop in this league. Well, let me say this, too. Joe Douglas did not sign Le'Veon Bell. So I think a lot of people have been getting that wrong um, from some of the stuff that I've been reading. That this wasn't a Joe Douglas signing. Mm -hmm. So he wasn't as attached to Le'Veon Bell as – I, I don't care. If I inherit players like Jamal Adams right. or Le'Veon Bell – particularly if I'm the coach, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that they're happy and want to play for me. You know how rare it is to have a guy, two guys like that? You know, like that's like, come on, as particularly in New York. Right. Or for the teams that we root for, you know? And actually, I have a question. Speaking of teams that we root for. Yeah. Who, and this is, I know we're not talking about the Knicks, but who do you think is in a better position, the Jets or the Knicks? I, none, neither. I mean, none of them are in a better really position. I mean, you can't even – you can't really answer that question. Uh -huh. um, I mean, like, I don't even – the thing, the problem is, too, and I think a lot of people, like, just want the quick fix, and they think that, you know, if we bring in Trevor Lawrence that it's going to somehow get better. I don't understand how it would get any better. Yeah. Like, you have to surround these quarterbacks with good players. Yes. Like, you could put any quarterback in this Jets offense, and they're not – I mean – Maybe if you, I mean, there might be some exceptions, but for the majority of quarterbacks, if you put them in this Jets offense, like nobody's succeeding with the coaching and the players that they have around them. I mean, so for this, people to jump to these conclusions about, oh, we have to get Trevor Lawrence and we have to get rid of Darnold, like, doesn't really help, doesn't really fix anything, in my opinion. Thank God for Jameson Crowder. At least he makes it somewhat watchable when, when we, that's like, even a stretch. Yeah, I know. But you know what, though? He's, 
put up a hundred yard. Uh, Crowder's been phenomenal. Game. One of the best slot receivers in the league. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's he's been one of the few people for the Jets that you could say he's actually overperformed. But um, I'm I'm but I just I agree though. I just I can't believe they've chosen Adam Gase over Jamal Adams and Le'Veon Bell. Le'Veon Bell and Robbie Anderson. Yeah. Really? Come well, that on. was that was more so Douglas not wanting to pay him. I know, but still, I I, I just I, I just want to blame everything. Now here's the here's another question though: Is do the Jets fire Gase midseason or do they wait to the offseason? Uh, I, you gosh, I, I you just have to get rid of him as soon as possible, because if he's going to continue to do stuff like this and make people not want to play for him and not develop his rookies. And then why would you keep him around any longer? But who would you have as coach, Greg Williams? Yes, absolutely. I love Greg Williams. I think that um, he was five and three as the interim coach of the of the uh, the Browns of the Browns. Yeah, um, he's he's uh, been to been to two Super Bowls, uh, mm-hmm. the Colts and the Saints. Yep. Um, I just he's highly respected around the league, and I just I I think Greg Williams would be a great coach for them, and they're they're now becoming a young team, and I think that if 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 they can just I actually I believe in Joe Douglas, mm. don't believe in Adam Gase. If Greg Williams is the head coach, I think that they can really that the tide can turn, not necessarily in terms of wins immediately, but in terms of player development and for the future. But I just I don't under I don't see how the Jets can get any better next and I also, years while I, well, with Adam Gates at the helm. And I also think that Greg Williams would be just he speaks more to the players. I feel like I feel like the players would respect him more than they do with Gates because I just I I really think he's lost the locker room. I really do. Obviously. Um, Come on. Yeah, I don't really think that needs to be said, but. And, and you look you know, at what some of these guys – you look at what Jamal said, Jamal Adams, what he said when they left about some of the things. That, to push a guy made. like Adam – like uh, Le'Veon Bell out yeah, is really something to behold. I mean, this guy, he wanted to be in New York. He was excited. He was ready to go. On, even on his Twitter, it was all about, like, we're doing – like, blah, 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 blah. Let's do this. He even t- tweeted, you know, at Jamal Adams, like, loosely come on man like wh- why are you leaving like we're here together but now i'm i have to imagine Levion's calling jamal up like oh I, I understand now i get it but Levion's handled all the the criticism and all the you know angst against him about how he's been using the offense like he's been really professional about it and i think he reached a breaking point where he's like listen i just can't play here anymore like they're not using me right i'm wasting my time here i yeah. gotta go somewhere i can win i frankly i feel bad for him but i also i can't believe they couldn't find a trading partner. Well, I think that had to do with the fact that he's – I think he's guaranteed like $8 he, million yeah, for next There's year. a lot of money, but he still is Le'Veon Bell, and you don't think that anybody would have been willing to take that up? You don't – I just really – I mean, I know it's not a – I think money was the reason, um, but I don't – I think what he wants to do is to go to Kansas City, Good, really one of the – I mean, probably the best team in the NFL. Absolutely. Yeah. Wants to – you know, kind of increases value as he enters free agency again next year and get a multi-year deal yeah. in the offseason. Like I said, when in prep, we got 
they, the Chiefs got exponentially better. Le'Veon, um, it, they have Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who can also, who's already a great running back and can learn under Le'Veon, similar to what Pirine should be doing with Gore. Um, but and also they could have uh, Bell and Edwards-Hilaire on the field at the same time because Le'Veon Bell is an excellent receiver. Yes. They can they can have they can have uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in the backfield. And still line up with with uh, leaving. There's so many options now. Well, remember in Pittsburgh, he was always They're prodding himself so that he wanted to be better. Ugh. In Pittsburgh, he was always prodding himself um, when he was asking, you know, when he was holding out and asking for a specific money to get that long-term deal from the Steelers. He was always prodding himself as a number two wide receiver in mm-hmm. terms of the way he wanted to get paid. Yeah. So I think he could definitely be utilized in that role um, when he's with the Chiefs. Absolutely. Like, why wouldn't they? And Andy Reid knows what he's doing. He's one of the best coaches in the league. He's Why a better coach he? than Adam Gase, I think it's uh, fair to say. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, you don't, you know, it, it goes without saying, really. Yeah. I mean, I just, he's going to, he, I really think Le'Veon Bell is going to explode again under Andy Reid, and particularly with the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes is going to throw to him when he's receiving. Yeah. But, I mean. Well, Le'Veon might win um, a Super Bowl ring with the Chiefs this year after leaving the the dumpster fire that is the New York Jets organization, but we are out of time. And that will do it for us on this week's episode of the McShane and Rucker Show. You can join us at the same time next week where we'll discuss all the latest topics in the sports world. Uh, once again, you can hear us weekly 9 a.m. to 9.30 right here on VIC Radio. And, yeah, have a good weekend, everybody. Have a good weekend.